Hey everyone, and welcome to A Fan's Perspective. My name is William, and if this is your first time listening, I want to take thank you for taking the time to slow down, check us out, and see what we're all about. Number two, if you are one of my listeners that's listened to almost every episode, I want to thank you for being dedicated to something that's growing. We're trying to make it better. Now, tonight's subject is going to be our top 10 favorite or best movies from 1984 to 1999. And joining me in the studio tonight is Mr. Michael Broadus. Now, I do want to be fair with y'all that we're going to break this up into two stints. We're going to go from 10 to number six. We're going to take a quick break and come back and finish it out. But Mr. Broadus, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing good, man. Um, we just got back from BWW, which is Buffalo Wild Wings for those people who don't like that place. Um, thank God for mozzarella sticks. Thank yes, God. sir. Um, I'm a big fan <laughs> of their mini corn dogs, but hey. <laughs> You know, I, I can't judge you for that. So what I brought you in tonight for is because you're somewhat of a cinephile. You, uh, yep. you, you very much like me, you grew up associating with movies, with learning habits. You pick up a lot of the curse words, the social nomenclature, all well, this kind of stuff from movies, right? Well, yes. And everything. We had a conversation about this earlier, um, everything previous and post-technical issues, everything about how some films like we reference cultural, uh, his, American History X, yep. um, particularly from the cultural standpoint that, because the conversation that we were having was like whether certain films today, if they were made and filmed, et cetera, et cetera, whatever term you want to use there, um, but that were actually released, whether they would be acceptable or not. And you and, brought up American History X. I agree with you. That's definitely one. Uh, one in my... And the second part of this episode, uh, after the break, I, I'll be bringing up one that's another one. But American History X is an interesting one to bring up because right now, as we sit here in the studio talking and we, we talk about social stigmas at this moment, whether it be people that disagree with Donald Trump, people that love Donald Trump. But all of us can agree that white national socialism that's bad. is bad. And and American History X touched on that on a whole nother level that I don't think even today... Particularly one where it didn't glorify it. It actually it yeah. was like, this is the horror of this situation. This is one man trying to climb his way out of it and the collateral damage of its exposure to everyone. Yeah. It, and, it, it, and as me and you talked about earlier, it's, it's one of those things like most people are okay with shining a light on an organization like that, but not necessarily the depth and darkness that they go to. I always associate it with people... Uh, if someone brings up the Klan, we all want that shine the light on the burning crosses or the meetings in the middle of nowhere, the anti-Semitic, the anti-African-American talk. But what we don't really glorify or what we don't want to see and talk about are the lynchings in no. the civil rights era or the the fear that civil rights leaders had to go through with that particular organization. We're all about learning about it, but not really going deep into it. And American History X is one of those films. Now, before we get too off too far off into a tangent, I want to start off by talking about my 10th best movie, which was directed by Jerry Zucker, uh, July 7th, 1995. And that was First Night with Sean Connery. Um, great movie, brought an adult side to King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Richard Gere did really good as Lancelot. Uh, I know not everyone likes that particular movie when we talk about um, Camelot and, and King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, 
for me, I just enjoyed that it was as as a young man, that was my first introduction to an adult version of when this came out, I was just turning or I was about to turn 10. Oh, like the whole Arthur. Um, yeah. So it was my introduction to it. I didn't really get that. The, the, the child's play version. So this is kind of what brought me into it. And I know some people have other films that have done this for them, Agreed. but for me, first night was it. Agreed. And we've, and we talked about this before. Um, we're, whether it's used or not, we're both kind of entitled to a wild card film. And, yes. and I'm going to throw my wild card as my number 10 in this case. Um, and for those that don't really gather what we're going with there is the time frame that William had, had established for this was between 1984 and 1999. Um, this film predates that by a couple of years and everything. And he's in particular talking about um, the first night or first night um, kind of exposure in childhood to the Arthurian legend. My parents took the perspective of adult films are, and I don't mean adult, adult <laughs> yeah. films, people. We're, we're not talking about the triple X kind of stuff. No, 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 no. We're not talking about anything to do with the, the Playboy or the XNXX or whatever people watch these days. Um, Hashtag, if your kids are listening, don't let them hear those. Those, no. those are Monitor Google, people. Yes. Monitor yes. Google. Um, that being said, taking away from that for a second. <laughs> um, no, is it Scalable? Thing. That is honestly one of my favorite films that's ever been made because it takes a very, very adult, dark, almost gothic look at um, at the Arthurian legend, but it also captures kind of the magic of it at the exact same time. And um, in particular, we we've d- discussed this before, and um, at least in passing. But uh, like Patrick Stewart plays Sir Leon de Grants, and um, which becomes one of the like first supporters of, of young Arthur after he pulls Excalibur from the stone because Arthur comes rushing to his uh like to save him because he actually supported Arthur. Um, it does a very 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 good job of actually capturing Merlin as both wizard and dare I say even kind of counselor warrior even. Um, but the movie does a very very good job of capturing the the evil in that movie, but also the positive magic and everything that actually kept that uh, kind of, that was that story of brotherhood, of friendship, of the fact of redemption. I agree with you on the idea that like with the first night, we didn't get to see as much of like Merlin or I don't think we really got to get introduced to Merlin. Merlin. Yeah. But that particular person, Merlin speaking of is is such an important part of, of that. You know, that, that genre or that time period mm-hmm. that when I mentioned, you know, I didn't get the opportunity to learn the the child's play version. Well, the child's play version actually deals with Merlin more than it deals with any yes. other character. Merlin is a central character in the Arthurian legend. And um, whether you take the Druid perspective or the Wizard perspective or a mixture of the two um, or the like, frankly, he's like mythical North Norse God kind of perspective or something to that effect. Um, that film in particular, the legend in general, we could talk about this for an yeah. hour. I know we don't have an hour, but, um, but in particular, that's my wild card film for number 10. Um, so my number nine, um, dated to October 2nd, 1998. Um, and it's because one of my favorite actors was in it and that's Robin Williams, but it's what dreams may come. Uh, the reason this movie resonated with me so strongly was it opened up, especially at a young age in '98. I was I was twelve or fourteen, something like that. You were a youngster, but we I, we're both from Mississippi. We're from the South, 
and religion is such a big part of of the yeah deep in the Bible yeah I mean it, it's part of the deep. culture that's that's brought up down here and this film for a lot of of people down here really opened our eyes to other aspects of of what could be out there not saying that and, we're not justifying any religion or anything like that but it opened up the idea of heaven hell purgatory yes. res, you know like the the price you pay for suicide thing Personal it opened up so so much of a pandora's box if mm-hmm. you will on on what can and can't be accepted but what really as a young young man what st- stuck out with the visuals right like mm-hmm. the visuals of what robin williams heaven was was amazing mm-hmm. and then the darkness of his wife's hell mm-hmm. was disturbing and to me, that's what made that movie so great was that you got the extreme highs and the extreme lows all wrapped up mm-hmm. into one. So for me, that sits at a very strong number nine uh, in movies that if if I had a bookcase where I could only have ten movies, that that would be well, awesome. In, I'm going to shift gears. Like our our list for this has been kind of changing as conversation goes along and prep for this and during it. And my original number nine would have probably been something sci-fi related or whatever. Um, I have a sci-fi bias towards films and action films. If we ever talked about that beforehand, I'm just kind of a, you know, disclaimer. He's a sci-fi nut. Indeed. Um, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, by the way, great movie. Um, that's a different, that's a plug for another episode though. Um, <laughs> but that being said, my number nine is actually going to be something I'm kind of, actually, I've kind of gave this a thought while you're talking about that. Um, in particular, like what is susceptible, what is not talking about films that would pass today, but would otherwise be sort of kind of exploring some sensitive yeah. issues. And it, it is, it's actually within our time frame. It's Mississippi burning. See, that's one um, I agree with you on. Uh, it covers Megger Evers. Yes. Um, which was a strong point in Mississippi history, especially in the civil rights era, uh-huh. and especially in our state capital, Jackson, Mississippi. That subject, that movie is one of those, I think – it deserves to be in a top 10 and I'm glad you put it there um, because it's one of those movies, unless you really think about it, or unless it hits you, well, it's such a good movie that when you see it, you know, you want to well, own it, but Gene, it's, it's a movie that's not a feel good movie. So no, we don't go to no. it immediately. Like you'll notice most of our list is feel good movies or movies that resonated with us or in one way or another. Movies, yeah. you know, or, but Mississippi burning covers a very dark, yeah. portion of it, our nation's well, history it, from a perspective kind of segueing off for a second um or diving off yeah with the intention of a segue um john uh john grisham in particular is a fantastic author southern author by the way yeah. um but gene hackman and willem dafoe as a kind of casting duo for that movie was a very good choice and um but the movie explores Infidelity, but with a purpose. Yeah. With John, uh, not with John Grissom, uh, with Gene Hackman going after the officer's wife, but in terms of friendship more than anything. Um, Willem, Willem Dafoe's very, very idealistic, young, you know, go-getter attitude. I was working for an FBI agent, but at the same time, too, his level of empathy was like, we have, we actually have to stop these bastards for what they have done. Well, I think you know, what gets, it, um, you're, you're really hitting it because... Man, you you really picked a movie that we could go off on a tangent on a whole yeah we could talk a whole about this movie episode for hours just, just, by um, just because um, it covers not only Meg Evers but it covers uh, Della Beckwith who whose family is 
known to this day, or Delabeck was father, Delabeck was senior, is known as the person that pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, that rifle that was used is in the museum mm-hmm. in Jackson, Mississippi, the Civil Rights Museum. Mm-hmm. You can tour the house to this day, mm-hmm. and there's still bullet holes in that house. There's still mm-hmm. the mattresses laid on the floor for the children, the 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 children of Megar Evers had to lay on the floor because they were afraid of being shot. Man, that that's one of them movies, dude. Mm-hmm. Like it's whether you realize it or not, and you, and you might have very well meant it. It touches a chord with so many people, mm-hmm. whether whether you you're well, racist, whether you're not racist, where you which you shouldn't oh, be. Yeah. By the way, well, I, I, I want to be very don't take that out of context, please. Like. What I'm saying is, no matter where you lie politically, this the movie, movie is race irrelevant is in the fact there. that it dis- that it discusses race is the component of the movie's discussion, but the movie's discussion is about hate. Yeah, whether it be white black, black white, primarily white black for the uh, for the purposes of that that film or the time frame, which is an unfortunate circumstance, but that is a concept for and a discussion for another venue in another place. Um, but it. It references Medgar Evers in the fact that it, uh, that of the, I think it was the two African-American males and the one white male that were murdered in the film. Yes. Uh, and, um, Stuart, uh, it was Sh- uh, Shaney was the white guy. Uh, there was two white guys and a black guy. Or was it two, was it two white guys? Uh-huh, like, well, it was... it, needless to say, it was, it was a couple of civil rights representatives that were murdered by racists in the film. And the film's perspective is Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe both being agents of the law, trying to go after them. Um, and the movie explores racial bias, bias from the court system, and everything where these people are ultimately let off. So just just to put a name to it, it was Andrew Goodman, James Earl Cheney, who was the African-American, and Michael Henry Schwerner. Uh, Goodman and Schwerner were two white uh, freedom riders, if you will, that came okay. down here to uh, help African-Americans get from point A to point B. They were helping with the right to vote with, uh, with yeah, the Civil Rights Act. Sure um, and basically, long story short, they were out one night. Uh, they disappeared. The car and the remains were found a couple of days later, burnt. Uh, evidence has come out later on in history indicating that the Mississippi Patrol knew about what was going on or knew what happened. Uh, and that was a different time. Uh Thankfully, we're not in that time now. Granted, you know, you can take that with a grain of salt. I know some people will. That's um, a conversation for another time. It, it really this. is. So what we're going to do, <laughs> uh, if I don't do but, this now. But, but no, but it is nonetheless a good point that we've continuously referenced that some films are very, very culturally aware. And, yes. and film is a good place to become aware of culture, of problems. If done so in the right context, some films glorify, some films dramatize. This does a mixture of both, but while also maintaining a firm foundation in reality. Yes. Because it is a very good representation of the time period and of the context of what it's actually trying to represent. So on a lighter note, my number eight uh, goes back to, I say it's a lighter note, but it still deals with the afterlife. And it's the Field of Dreams. Um, it? They will come, man. Yes. And Field of Dreams was... May 21st, 1989, director Phil Alding Robinson uh, did a great job with the concept of basically purgatory, afterlife, you know, what what goes on. It's it's one of those movies, um, I'm not going to lie, you're going to hate it or you're going to love it. Uh, there is no in-between with that movie. I didn't like um, it. Yeah, Michael here, he, he didn't like I didn't it. I didn't like it. 
Um, but it's one of those movies. Hey, give it a shot. You're going to know within the first half hour. It, it, it is in, in it develops slowly. Yes, I will the tell film you is that. a slow burning film, and the film's defense is actually a good movie. It is just not my cup of tea or forte, whatever phrase, whatever phrase. So, what's your number eight to counter my number eight? Oh no, what's great here is because you know I have a bias against sappy films. Yes, sir. Which I believe Field of Dreams to be, and in particular, I'm not a huge fan of Kevin Costner. Um, he's a, he's a good actor though, but he plays the same role or something. I don't know. It's just something about him. Um, but speaking of sappy films, which you know I have a bias against, but I'm actually about to name one. Um, we're referencing number eight, right? Yeah. Everything. It's short circuit. It. Um. Sort. Lord bless it. I do not remember who directly directed that movie. Um. But that being said, that's kind of irrelevant. Um. Steve Gutenberg was also in that movie as a Absolutely. as a, as another actor. Which people, if you it's just Separate point of reference. If you have not seen the first Police Academy, go watch it. A movie. It, we're we're nineteen eighty four. Enter the uh, w- did it actually come out in eighty four. Oh, so it actually was for the uh-huh. time frame. Um, I know you have a spoof movie that um to discuss. Yeah, yeah, um, I do later on. But that being said, um, Short Circuit is a fantastic short little film and is family friendly. Um, remarkably adult at the same time. Everything, but it's it's almost like a coming of age story for this little robot that is struck by lightning that was developed as a weapon of war that develops humanity. It is it is his coming of age and coming of life story where it goes through his childhood where he explores his surroundings. He develops a sense of sexuality and identity by befriending a uh, by befriending a female and actually falling developing feelings for her in his own kind of way yeah. and ultimately discovering his own mortality by. The concept of death, and we and, actually um, we actually talked about this earlier as well. Is um, short circuit was in an interesting time frame of uh, technology hadn't quite reached the level we are today, yes. and short circuit I think helped develop uh, an irrational fear of, of what technology would do. Uh, <laughs> we we discussed yeah. a movie at one point called Daryl, uh, and Daryl was quite interesting for me because. Short Circuit is a machine that looks like a machine. Daryl was a machine that looked like a child. Yes. Um, and goes through very similar, the same thing, minus the sexuality part of it, but learns to love, creates feelings. And I think it created an irrational feeling of what, you know, androids or cyborgs are, mm-hmm. were compatible before we even had the technology to... to uh, to the, reach that point. There's always been an irrational... Well, I will not say irrational. There's always been the cognizant human phobia of what we do not understand. And, um, or, uh, this is going way out of it, but uh, Orson Welles did a great job with that with World of the Lords. And everything, which that really was a commentary on. And, uh, which was Probably. great because... Uh, I, and I know we're, we're trending off topic here for a second, but when Orson Welles was such a genius that... When he first decided to read War of the Worlds as a broadcast, and people legitimately went into hysteria. Wasn't it written by H.G.? No, H.G. Yeah, Wells H. was H. the murderer. H.G. Uh, Wells was the um, was the author. And um, Orson Welles was the one that wrote. You sure H.G. Wells was a murderer, homie? No, H.G. Uh, Wells was the H.G. Uh, Wells wrote the Time Machine. Dude, yeah. My bad, guys. Yeah, H- 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 all H- no, you're not wrong. H.G. Wells wrote it. Orson Welles was the one that actually did the live broadcast. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the idea was... We were unprepared. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, H.G. Wells wrote it, uh, but it was made famous, if you will, yeah, Orson when Wells Orson Welles read it on the radio as a, as a broadcast for a Halloween and people legitimately freaked out. They actually, uh, and that was really, you know, that was really the moment where um, we realized that the the impact that entertainment can have. Yes. Um, so I'm going to move on because we've got two left to get to and, and we're running out of time. Uh, my number seven would be The Three Musketeers by Disney. Um, it was released November 11th, 1993, directed by Stephen Herrick. Uh, great movie, Tim Curry, Kiefer Sutherland, um, uh, Charlie Sheen. You take all these guys, you throw them in a movie, and it's going to be hit or miss. It's like a lot of those movies, like An Ocean's Cindy. 13 or something Cindy. like that. Well, it's really good. It's really bad. There's really no in between. And Disney did a great job of not trying to throw what I call the Disney twist on it at that time. <laughs> Disney has changed so much as a corporation now, but at that time... Disney was more about the super family friendly animation kind of things. And this movie was really the first step away mm-hmm. from it. So, and kind of bouncing off that, I'm going to shotgun number seven as a franchise. This will become a theme as the conversation develops, probably. Um, kind of referencing a franchise collectively, not beyond parts one and two, though, because the rest of them were total and utter dumpster fires. Um, you're talking about the concept of technology, people being afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And it, no idea where it's really going to go and the concept for artificial intelligence will come back to bite us in the proverbial butt. And, uh, and my friends, if you don't know where this is going, um, you need to expand your film repertoire. That has nothing other than James Cameron's The Terminator as a franchise. No, no, But not beyond parts one and parts two. It, like, at all. Yeah, after one and two. Uh, my personal favorite is Judgment Day. Part two is even. Um, I, I love part one because of the of, of what it offered. I love part two for the fact that it is that film perfected. Yes. It, um, it is one of the best sci-fi sequels ever made. I, I completely agree with you on that. And that will lead me to my final, number six, before we take a break. Um, which, man, this one was hard for me. I remember being a big fan of it growing up. was The Crow. Um, I remember the heartbreak of, of, I mean, I was, man, I was nine when it came out or no, I was actually five when it came out, but I got to watch it when I was nine falling in love with that character. Uh, Brandon, Brandon Lee's character. It was hard, especially as a nine year old, when you find out he legitimately died filming that. Well, it's, Um, it's action, Gothic, horror, noir. Yeah, it's one of those movies that you can't really narrow down and place into a a specific genre outside of of suspense, honestly. um, Because it's one of those that no matter who you are, you can sit down and watch. And it's another one of those that you're either going to hate it or you're going to love it. In that movie, I love. You know, uh, it's... And we talked about this earlier. To me, The Crow is very similar to Spawn as far as there's really no narrowing it down outside of it being a comic book character. Oh, yeah. But you love it or you hate it. Um, well, the film had a... Not a lot of films can capture this, but the film had soul. Yes. And um, and that is not a pun towards the guy dying in the, yeah, in the yeah. production. It's really not. And, um, no, the, the film had a certain level of life to it that it just flowed well. Like, you actually kind of felt... You felt bad for... 
like Brandon Lee's character. Yeah. yeah. Everything you felt bad for his loss. You felt everything in its own kind of way. You actually felt bad for the people that he was actually trying to help because he, it, it, despite what these people did and his acts of vengeance towards them, he offered them a certain level of redemption. Yep. And everything, which is interesting. It, it brings uh, up the idea of forgiveness over ven- vengeance, right? Yeah, right? I mean, he chose vengeance, but his vengeance was their forgiveness. Correct. It, it, exactly. it, which is interesting. Because really, <laughs> when you jump down into that, you know, giving drug addicts a second chance, you know, like giving people that committed a violent atrocity ways out. Now, not all of them took that. Mm-hmm. But offering the ability to say, hey, here's a way. Let's make it work. But it, it did or it didn't. Mm-hmm. And The Crow is a movie I think everyone should at least sit through. I offer this as a point of advice for anyone that has any taste in rock music or music in general. The the soundtrack for that film is legitimately fantastic. Hi, Mr. Broadus. Um, I hate to cut you off there, but we need your number six because we are running out of time before we get cut off by our I have given this some thought, and I'm actually going to stick to my guns on this one. Um... This is one film I will reference. The other two I will not. Although it is part of a franchise. Um, my number six pick is kind of the middle of the road. Um, and we've talked about this before. Um, six through ten for me in particular. Honestly doesn't have a lot of magnitude. Except for Mississippi Burning. I honestly think it should probably be ranked a little yeah. higher. Um, but as a pick for number six. Just to complete the, the round out this part of the list. Because um, one through five. I believe you would say the same. But will have more weight. Yeah. I think. Absolutely. Um, to me it would be The Matrix. Okay. That, that, that as kind of it's a, become a pop culture phenomenon well, yes sure. and it was at the same time it was a rebirth of action sci-fi like the, it, it had been stagnant for years and the Wachowski brothers offered something that was brand new it was a new universe to explore new characters that was that also that was had spiritual imagery that was fantastically religiously metaphored and it spawned a whole new level of cosplayers yes that trench coat yeah yeah. um but no the film is i will not say a masterpiece because there i will reserve that title for other films but it is legitimately a good action film that is also a sci-fi film has a decent plot with great actors and you at times you can't ask for anything better than that nope well guys uh we are gonna take a break here uh enjoy a word from our sponsor which is anchor um it's a great place to be able to establish and start up your podcast Uh, you'll get some more information from them there. We will see you back here very shortly to finish off this list with our top five. Hey guys, we'll talk to y'all around the corner. Hey everyone, this is William from a fan's perspective. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, when I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How to record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen on? How do I make money from this podcast? Well, guys, the answer was really easy. The answer was Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with a great sponsor who wants to advertise on your podcast. That means you get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. 
Guys, let me be real. Anchor has changed the way I look at podcasts. It made it really easy for me to get in there, start editing my stuff, and get it out to you. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money while doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear what you come up with and your podcast. Welcome back, everybody. So um, this right here, I just want to mention is going to be a part one of a series. We uh, we looked at our time frame and I think we're, uh, we're digging so deep into this and having so much fun talking about our top 10 that we are going to have to push over our top 10 worst to a part two of this episode. But where we left off, we were talking about the crow and the matrix. But now we're going to jump into our top five this is where it gets a little fun how how deep do you want to like so this is where i find tangents will come out come Mm. into play so really what we're doing is we're buying ourselves a little bit of time to if we if we get off the topic or if there's a disagreement we have the opportunity to talk about it um this is where my list really changed a little bit the more we sat here the more we talked about it but number five is actually a tie for me they're both by the same director Mel Brooks, but number five is a tie between Spaceballs and Blazing Saddles. Um, as you heard us talk about earlier about movies that wouldn't necessarily work in today's society, Blazing Saddles is one of those movies. Um, amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, please check it out. But it is one of those films that when you watch it, keep in mind it was shot in a different time frame um, and it just wouldn't work in today's society. Spaceballs would, uh, just to an extent, I guess you would say. Spaceballs is that, I'm not going to say atypical, because it, it, it atypical is not. It is almost the incarnation of the, dare I say, damnable spoof comedy. And everything. Uh, it, 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 I'm not going to say that was the very first one, but it was one of the first ones that got it right. It, I um, agree. It, it, uh, it touched it, so many... Uh, for you younger listeners that might be listening, Spaceballs and things like Blazing Saddles were what made movies like Scary Movie, you know, a possibility, right? So Mel Brooks was an, an innovator in how he saw what he wanted to do and how well he put it together. Uh, Mel Brooks is one of my heroes, man. Like uh, Mel Brooks is an insane genius. Really? Mind. I mean, like, the uh, things he would touch, the subjects he would broach. Didn't he... Correct me if I'm wrong. Clockwork I don't believe. Uh, I don't know. That is uh, why you're going over your top five. I will actually look that Clockwork, up. I swear he did Clockwork Orange. Um, I'm not sure, but he's double checking that. But um, in particular, starting off with my number five, and this is actually going to be it. It's on your list, but I'm going to reference it from. I'm going to reference it as one from okay. mine because we I know we said we could share our films. It's a film I've actually come to love over the years. It's the Shawshank Redemption. It, that is honestly. Frank Darabont is a damned genius in everything because the movie is a masterpiece of cinematography. The story is incredible. Mel, uh, not Mel Gibson. Um, so time out for the people that um, you're talking about Morgan Freeman. Yes. Morgan okay. Freeman. Uh, for the people that are cinephiles that might be listening to this, he did mention Frank Darabont. I don't want to leave out Jesse V. Johnson. Yes. Who was the co-director on this film, because I know there are some people, oh, you forgot someone. No, we didn't. Um, 
He just failed to mention Jesse at first, but I wanted to be sure we got it out there. Jesse Van Johnson was the co-director of this film. Um, and absolutely, sir, Shawshank, like, oh my God. epic. It's it's one of them, mm-hmm. like, when it rains, I still want to walk outside, well, throw my arms out, well, the and sto- just scream Shawshank. The, the story is, is kind of, it's almost, it's a romantic tragedy where a movie, where a man had to go to, basically had to go to hell to find his own heaven. Because to, looking at and this is spoiler alert for people who have not seen this film, and um, I almost feel bad for spoiling it because this is one movie I do recommend people watch in wholeheartedly. It, it's absolutely on, it, if people. It's on AMC all the time. And it, just it, because like, we spoil anything for you, I promise you, on this this particular film, watch it. Um, we could sit here and read a script for you. Still can't do it justice, but we can't. No, and I mean it's just one of those films that no matter, uh, short of Morgan Freeman sitting here reading the script for you because let's be fair that man can just read a lullaby oh, and you're following the, along that dude with can it. read the like, like the print on the back of a bathroom bottle like yeah and sit there and listen um, to it. <laughs> you know it just we couldn't do it justice and I'm, I'm actually i'm i'm let down that that's so low on your list but well i agree it, with you that it should be in the top five regardless it, well the reason why i say it's number five for me is because the ones that i have picked higher are trilogies and, it, and, and you have to have something magical to have a trilogy, and um, particularly trilogies that are good. And um, and the reason why I put this film at number five is not only for that reason, but in particular that I'm also biased against dramas. We both know this. That's why I put it there. But I want it in my top five for the simple fact that the film is legitimately, in its own kind of weird way, almost damn near perfect. Yeah. And um, but. Not spoil and try not to spoil as little as possible. It takes the perspective of a banker named Andy Dufresne, who finds out that his wife is cheating on him and everything with another with another individual, and and what was going to be a crime of passion, he actually is a coward. He backed out and everything. He had a moment of clarity in a fit of drunken rage, and decided not to do it and everything. So you could label him a coward, but also at the same time too, you could say he has the courage of a saint to actually not do it. He is framed for the murder of his wife and. Her, her lover, lover and her other lover, and actually winds up in prison. And the story from there is that this is a man who had everything, lost everything by a crime that was not his own fault, and had to go through hell to find something that actually made him happy. When he says it wasn't his own fault, he was innocent. Yes, and everything. He was again. He was framed. Um, but the story does a very, very good job of Andy actually says it the best himself. On the outside, he was completely free. He had to go to jail to become a criminal. I will not say anything else about that. I'm not going to spoil anything. So I'm glad you brought Andy uh, and this found, movie. But uh, he found himself in prison and then ultimately. Escaped. Yeah. It, it, the, the cool thing for me, though, about this, and this is a warning for any parents that are that are listening to this that haven't seen this and, and are interested. It is a film that does have some graphic nature. You don't see it's more Any, it's it's a mental graphics of like if you have a general understanding of a situation, you can deduce what just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things. If if you're watching this with your kid, be prepared to have some conversations because they're going to come up. Yes, because the movie references everything from prison rape to infidelity to honestly blackmail. Yeah, everything uh, in its own right, public corruption. Um, it really covers what's interesting about that. And um, like, like I said, this is on my list is a little bit higher, but since we're talking about it, we're going to talk about it. Um, 
What's interesting about that movie is you could take it because it released in 1994. Mm-hmm. You could take it and place it in 2018 and it'd still be relevant. That's that's really when you know you've got a classic is because you can take a lot of those same yes. social stigmas that we talk about today and move this movie from well, 1994 to, ni- to 2018 well, or today to this exact day. The movie captured something that a lot of movies don't do a particularly good job of doing. In particular, the movie is set in, if I'm not right, if correct me if I'm wrong. Like late forties, early fifties, I, I believe. Um, and, um, I think. Let's see. Uh, was it more post pro? Like post pro? Uh, yeah, I think it was more like the twenties and thirties. It may to have be been, honest but, but say for regardless for time period, the movie the movie does a very very good job of exploring the value of friendship, in particular between an between what is a black male and an upper class white male, yeah. who has been reduced to the same living circumstance as Morgan Freeman being the black male in this picture, and through a combination of just luck, event, and almost just good nature, they become the best of friends. You know what's cool about that movie? And you're, you're kind of you're, you're you're getting there, and then you're pulling yourself back, and you get in, and you're pulling yourself back. But the idea for me is because you touched on it just a second ago. Is it actually deals with mental health a lot too, because mm-hmm. you really see oh, the sisters, the, the from um, from just from the sisters to what it's like for these guys when they first go into prison that first night, to the actual mental strain of seeing what Andy goes through mm-hmm. for the years he's there, to see what Red goes through, who is Morgan oh, Freeman's character through the years, the, um, the new fish game. Yeah, but, so it really touches yeah. on some of the mental sides of that we don't, as normal citizens, will probably. Hopefully, knock on wood, never have to deal with in our lifetime. That's a conversation for another day when we decide to have a podcast on criminal justice policy. But we will not discuss that here today. So, (laughs) since since we did that, I'm going to have fun here. And I changed my top four. Uh, So, number four for me is another Frank Darabont movie. Oh, Lord. The Green Mile. Okay. Um, it's amazing he has a thing about prisons. He it does. Is, it's, uh, it's a thing. Uh, the Green Mile was one of those. Uh, to me, it's a Tom Hanks classic. Um, it deals with uh, an African American gentleman being falsely accused. Another person is framed. Um, but what's interesting is very similar to Shawshank is not quite to the same level, but the accused. And Green Mile actually comes face to face with the person that committed the crime. Yeah, they're in the same damned cell block. Now, in uh, Shawshank, it doesn't happen quite that way. Andy, a guy that Andy's helping oh, get his Lord. GED. They, they made the exact it, same it, film. It, it is. It, uh, um, it, really, they, they took <laughs> out a little bit and added a little bit here. Um, but it's that old saying, don't fix what isn't broken, right? Like, the same, the same outline, if you will, goes for the Green Mile to Shawshank with some give and take on each side. Well, well, you have with, a little bit of fantasy on one side with, with his magic power. If well, you will. it's more spiritual crisis on terms of the, of the secondary characters rather than. Yeah. But, um, that's the, it, that's the, whole... the green mile for me is, is gotta be in my top four, uh, a lot of reasons because of, uh, Frank 
uh, Darabon is, is oh, a good director and, and, and does great work. I'm going to shift complete gears on you here. Okay. Everything And my number four is going to be a movie that's on the complete end of the spectrum. I guess I'm okay. kind of looking through a list of available films here that we had to pick from. My number four is Silence of the Lambs. A good one. That movie, not 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 only for Jodie Foster, who is actually a, a very good actress, everything, the one and sole person that sold that movie is, God bless Sir Anthony Hopkins. Hmm. That movie, his character alone, everything sold that film. When the film was not even about him, everything that that that, that is when you know something is interesting about that movie. And um, I'll spare the details. I was actually I will actually not spoil that film. People go watch it if you have not seen it. Um, but his role as Hannibal Lecter was freaking fantastic. Because the interesting thing about it is is because. Not many times do you ever find yourself rooting for a person who is named in the film as Hannibal the Cannibal. Yeah. When you can find yourself, I, I hate to say empathizing, but like you actually like one of the villains, you know that they have made a compelling character. And the film's actually really good. So, you ruined it, but my number three is A Princess Bride. Oh, okay, for the cat's um, right now. Yeah. Um, to me, The Princess Bride was just one of those movies that, if you're in a bad mood, in my opinion, you can put that movie on, and whether it be Andre the Giant, um, whether it be any of those characters in there, uh, yes, I mean, uh, did someone say a peanut? Like, I mean, it's, it's got so many classic one-liners, but... It's one of the movies, man. If I feel bad, um, I would have to have it on my bookshelf of, of movies because just in a bad day, I can put that movie in and it changes my... I found you a title for this podcast. What's that? Inconceivable! There you go. <gasps> um, you know, it, it's just one of those movies. I mean, uh, if y'all were able to see my list of movies right now, y'all would see how much my top four changed in the matter of just sitting here thinking about it. And but... The Princess Bride, by all means, you know, with Carrie in it, made it. Do what? I said I came into this completely. <laughs> so, um, Mr. Broadus, what would be your number three? Number three? Um, my number three and my number one, actually my top three, are going to be are going to be franchises. Mm-hmm. It, but referencing films that the, each, each franchise has a film that falls into this type. Yep. And um, I'm actually going to double double check one in particular. Um, but going with number three, my friends, again, Steven Spielberg touches any, anything that that man touches is gold. And ironically enough, he has a hand in at least number number three and number one. And everything. I believe he may in number two, but I actually, actually have to double check myself on that one. But number three is Indiana Jones. I, I can't disagree with you. There. Is it is any my my favorite of the my favorite of the ones being the Last Crusade, which I believe came out ninety one. Temple of Doom. No, Temple. It, it, God, dude. Even though he ended up marrying the coat, like the the secondary. She lead she actor, ruined that movie. Oh, for so sweet many Jesus! All she does is yell. I <laughs> I, I to give you guys an idea. I thoroughly enjoy Temple of Doom, minus one aspect, and my wife will not watch Temple of Doom because of oh, the the the. Pretty lady in the film, she touches something and she screams. She sees something and she screams. She smells something she and she screams. Movie. To me, that movie had the opportunity to be a complete masterpiece, minus her. Yep. 
And my and one of my favorite thing is though is a um another movie that she was in I think pre that movie Black Rain with Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't talk much. She, it's it's a much more it's a much better role. Okay. Um, but that aside for a second, and all, and all sarcasm aside too, everything I the Indiana Jones films are the one of those quality trilogies. We're not we're disregarding the meth head version about the aliens in Area Fifty One, and we don't talk about that one. Um, Kingdom of the Crystal bullcrap. Um, but I, I love The Last Crusade. That movie is fantastic. But the films invite a lot of conversation about about history, the the practical nature of archaeology, yep. and everything, um, adventures, and everything, um, spirituality, kind of diving into, kind of diving into the mythology of the third one. That it and, really um, does. Oh, actually, the second you know, one, or the second touches, one too, and everything, particularly Hinduism. And, uh, yeah, um, like that's what I was about to say. That's what know, made the second one so interesting. And, uh, was the strong well, the, viewpoint they put on yes, on that. The movies are very. The, the movies to be. A quirky sci-fi franchise. I hate to use very sci-fi, but that's yeah. the first thing that fits in my mind right now. Um, they are very, very culturally aware of the of what they are actually. I hate to use the phrase exploiting, but in some ways they are for the purposes of you know film. Yeah. Um, but they're very, very culturally aware. But at the exact same time, they're very, very culturally sensitive. Like take for example in the temple in the Temple of Doom. Um, it is the is the the Hindi people that are being taken advantage of by their by like by a, a group of their own people. Yep. It was a rival religious sect. And um fast forward to the uh, to the last crusade. It um is very, very aware of the fact that Although, depending Indiana on... Indiana Jones is very social conscious. Yes. And like, again, the third one, the, the point I was going to make was, it just in brief, was when they went after the Holy Grail, it couldn't leave. Yeah. They could not take it out of the temple. It was something that was never meant to be have to be had by man. It, um, so... So, um, my number two, we talked on it thoroughly already, Shawshank Redemption. Okay, you were in high rate. Um, yeah, so, well, not, not much higher than me. No, no, not that much. But Shawshank's one of them, regardless of what I'm doing, short of me being at work. Uh, if it's on, I'm stopping and watching it. Shawshank is just one of the movies that, if I'm in a bad mood, it puts me through an emotional roller coaster that really gets me going. And. It lightens up my day, but hurts it at the same time, if y'all can understand what I'm saying. But it goes back to what we were saying about when we talked about it earlier. If you have not seen this movie, guys, please check it out. Um, It's just, man, it's so good. And I hate even thinking about that someone has gone this long without actually seeing it. Now, if you're a younger person listening to this and you haven't seen it, cool. Go see it. It's worth it. Rent it. Redbox that sucker. Oh, ninety nine cents. I will give you the three ninety nine so you can rent it through Amazon Prime. It is that good. All right, Mister Broadus, give me that number two. Number two. Originally, I was going to go with a separate sector of films, but none of them fall within our time frame, and I've already used them on my wild card. Um, but I will mention them for the sake of mentioning them because they are that good. It would have been Star Wars. Ah, and, yes. um, they, it's, but it's outside our time frame. Even the, the Last Jedi came out in nineteen eighty three. Yeah, and I was like, God dang. Yeah, right but, um, outside of it. Or yeah. Return of the Jedi. Sorry, not the last Jedi. Yeah, we know how you Jedi people are. Are you Star Wars fans? So don't... Sweet Jesus. Yeah. Um, that's okay. It's all right. I didn't mean to offend you. No. Um, in particular, my number two as a film, I should correct what I said earlier, it would have been a franchise if I could have used those. But film in particular, Die Hard. 
That's a that good inner thing. And people will argue this to this day. Die Hard the Christmas movie. Yes. It is a freaking Christmas Absolutely movie. Absolutely Christmas. It's like Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Gremlins, Gremlins is almost the perfect Christmas movie. Actually, I think the Christmas Vacation is the perfect Christmas movie. But, Here we uh, go, diverting. But yes, we, this is what this happened. All right, well, this is what we're going to do for, for posterity's sake. My number one, Goodfellas. Oh, you wouldn't pick that one. Goodfellas. Uh, this is one of me and my my spouse, my significant other, my no, wife they, of eleven years. This is the one movie. This is her favorite. That movie. yes, like like they're born um, on. This is her this favorite. is this is one of the movies that another one. Just like I said before, with Shawshank, if it's on, it's being watched. If we come home, we have nothing to do. Guess what's being put on? Goodfellas. It teaches you so many lessons um, that. Oh my God, like it's so inaccurate as far as the Lucchese family or that crime syndicate family in the New York area. Uh, not, I won't say so inaccurate because there are some accuracies in there, but it's one of the movies, man. You sit down and watch it, you'll go buy it. I firmly believe anyone that watches that movie. Well, what was great about go it watch is it and that, buy it. oh Lord bless it. Um, the main character that Ray Liotta was actually portraying, and Henry actually, Hill, Henry Hill actually offers some commentary about the portrayal of him of himself, and he's like, you know what? That's pretty damn accurate. Is in particular Martin Scorsese actually either they lowered down the actual violent <laughs> that was there. Um, well, I watched a thing uh, with Henry Hill, and that was his only complaint of the whole movie was that if you break it down and you really look into oh, to Jimmy the Gin and all of that, it wasn't. To that, like he he even says, like they the one thing he hated about it was that they glorified so much of of that mobster mentality. Oh yeah, but it didn't go over the fact of like if you were in the mob during those days, even now, yeah, you're gonna get capped. It, that's the thing. It, it, it always winds up coming back to you in a way that you didn't uh, that you know how it's coming, but you don't know well, when or you don't know exactly who. It could be your best friend, it could be your brother, your mother, your sister. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Well, but it's gonna happen. The one scene, one scene in that movie that that sticks out for me is one that Henry Hill offers some real life commentary on. Now, bear in mind, folks, that this guy is a convicted felon. He's dead. And he's also dead. And everything. He's a known. <laughs> he's a known user, drug addict, and drug dealer. So his credibility is subject to question. But that can be said for many things for yeah. a lot of people. But it was the part where his wife was straddling his chest, holding the revolver to his head after oh, she yeah. found out that he was cheating on. Yeah. Him. Because he offers some commentary about that part in real life where he was like, yeah, that basically scared the ever-loving shit out of me. You know? And they're like, in his defense, I think that would have scared anybody, male or female, but winding up in that role. And that that part of that movie really sits with me, mainly for this one reason. Because it captured what I think would have been the fear in that part. The look on Ray Liotta's face is straight up like he's in a peaceful, calm sleep. And he wakes up to see a gun in his face from the one person he trusted to never do that to him. So another cool one, and when you're talking about this, uh, I was actually, um, uh, Ray Liotta was talking about it, that the scene where Henry Hill and Polly are in the backyard after Ray gets out, after Henry Hill gets out of prison, mm-hmm. um, and there's a scene where Polly is telling him, don't get involved in, in all that junk, and he slaps him. Mm-hmm. That wasn't scripted, and that's and you can see it in like Ray oh, Liotta's face. It was ad libbed, but it's one of the, it's those moments that that make films really stand mm-hmm. out and are really true. So to move forward, I'm going to ask it. Ultimately, what is that number one? 
I'm going to let you go first. I just did. Did you? Goodfellas. Home. Oh, Goodfellas? Okay. Uh, I was kind of off with Wall Island thinking about mine. Or like, you already know what mine was going to be. It's a franchise, but with one film in particular paying very close attention to it is Back to the Future. I do not care what anyone has to say. That is the perfect trilogy. The perfect trilogy. Um, that, that is a bold statement and everything, um, but it, I honestly believe it to be the perfect. Back to the Future was fun. Um, I'm one of the few um, poorer you're, souls you're that, heathen, Will. that enjoy the Wild West Back to the Future. Oh, part, see, part three, I think it was. Part, part um, three, for the longest time, was my favorite one. Over time, I come to love the first one. In particular, there was this one scene when again, I try not to spoil. I'm not gonna try not to spoil this because you please go and watch it if you haven't. It, uh, and it's kind of f- fundamentally frightening how many people have not seen that movie. At least among people I know, um, probably two out of every ten friends I have have not seen that film, and it bothers me. That completely. is crazy. Um, but that being said, there's one particular scene where Marty and Doc, the two main characters, are discussing like Doc's eventual time travel thing. And there's a greater subplot element where one of the main characters' life is potentially doomed for forever. Mm. And I won't spoil anything other than that. And the look on Michael J. Fox's face in that scene is it almost breaks his heart when um, Christopher Lloyd delivers that line. Who's the, that's, that's the man that plays Doc Brown. Mar- uh, Michael J. Fox plays Marty McFly. And... It's in that one scene I kind of realized, okay, there's a lot more depth of this movie than, than actually what I, like, on his face I ever realized as a, as a child. Um, even more so, like, when the DeLorean stalls at the line, and everything, uh, the Doc painted in the road at the very end of it, preparing for, like, the final, like, the final high-speed drive scene where he's getting ready to go back to 1985. The reason why the DeLorean stalls is not because, it's both plot element and kind of fun thing in the movie. The, um... I'm going to go full nerd here for just a second. The film, the actual DeLorean they used in the film had a problem with the alternator. They had two alternators on the car to power most of the uh, the interior props and special effect equipment. Um, it actually kept killing the battery and the car would stall all the time. So they wrote it into the movie as a plot element. But it also serves as a plot device to prevent a time paradox that ha- uh, that would, for an event that would have happened later in the movie. Um, which the films continuously reference between parts two and part three. Um, I won't say anything other than that. But the films are honestly solve very, very all, very, very many, if not all, of their plot holes. They're they are quality, but they are also very, very family oriented, while also at the same time being kind of timeless. The movies are going yeah. on forty years old, and it's one of the most watched trilogies there is. It's definitely one that you can sit down with your children and watch it or yes. with your friends and watch it. And it has that adult element as far as keeping adults mm-hmm. into it, but as well as children. The, the film's me. popular phrase being, oh, I understand mm. the sciences. The film's popular phrase being, much like this podcast, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. All right, guys. So we went through our top 10. Uh, as I said, when we came back from break, uh, we will have a part two, which will be our top. 10 worse. We might even have an additional special guest for this one uh, coming up. Dale, if, if you listen to this, if, if Dale actually gets the opportunity to show up with us. Now, um, I just want to keep him, uh, keep letting you guys know you can actually help this podcast out. There is a, a sponsor me section where you can actually help make sure that 
I can maybe give these guys a little money here and there to, to keep doing this for me. I need gas money. <laughs> I'm broke. <laughs> but it also makes it to where we can be sure that we're getting proper equipment and, and taking this podcast to the next level every time. I also want to remind you, any topics that you would like us to cover, you can email me at afansperspective01 at gmail.com. If you don't feel like emailing me, you can go to Facebook, type in your search bar at, that's the little at, you know, the, the email symbol, the a fans perspective zero one. I'm the only one there. Um, it'll pop up, and uh, I believe it's a picture of like a Boston Red Sox picture. Um, you can do that. You can send me an email via that way. You can actually send me a message on there. I actually checked that. But for the most part, guys, it's it's always a pleasure being able to do these for y'all. And we really hope to to get this up and going the proper way. I know I say that almost every time, uh, but we're moving forward, getting everything going. So once again, you can always sponsor us. There is a little like you know monthly contributing page. I am working on something for people that decide to do that. That you way, Patreon. where you know uh, you'll either get like a, a shirt or something like that. We're we're working on that. But hey, guys. As always, it's been fun. My name is William. As always, I have my guest here, Michael. Goodbye, folks. And next uh, until next time, we hope y'all have a great time, great week. Stay safe. Stay dry. And as always, if you put your mind to it, you can do it.